Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. This morning, they did an amazing job. Thank you guys. They're kind of our extended family anyway. So, and so praise God. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, if you'll turn to the book of Acts chapter 3, and um, we're going to read a verse of Scripture there. I've been in a series called The Blessing, Just As Your Soul Prospers. And we've been talking about the blessing. And we went through and we've identified what the blessing is. We see in the Old Testament that the word blessing means to empower, to prosper, uh, to, to walk in the benefits of. And, um, and so we saw that in the Old Testament. But walking in the prosperity of the Lord is not just, we talked about it, it's not just money. It's just not an exchange system with God. I give God and then God gives me. The blessing is something that God puts upon our life. It comes on us. It empowers us to prosper. It empowers us to to, uh, fulfill everything that God has for us. But I want to talk this morning about, I want to talk about blessed families. Blessed families. And, um, And so to start out with this morning, I just want to say to you, that no matter what your situation is this morning, whether you're married or single, widowed, divorced, no matter what, no matter what, God is going to speak to your heart this morning. And, um, and we're going to go into God's word and talk about the family and talk about the blessed family and uh, what the scripture teaches about being the blessed family. I want, you to, I want to read a verse of scripture in Acts chapter 3 and verse 25. It says, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. How many know it's God's desire that families be blessed? The word families there, it's, it's the condemnation of uh, family of God. It's, it means tribes or individual units. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful word. It says that your seed, your seed, Abraham's seed, and the Bible says that in Galatians chapter 13, that we are part of Abraham's seed and that the blessing that was on Abraham in the Old Testament has been transferred to us in the New Testament through the blood of Jesus Christ. How many are thankful that you and I are under the blessing of Abraham this morning and that we have the blessing of Abraham under and in our, our lives? So we're going to look at the word of God and how our families can live in the fullness of the blessing of God. But in order to talk about the blessed family, we have to first talk about, and I want to talk about this a little bit this morning, the broken family. The broken family. Now, The reason we start here is we all come from a broken family. Even if if we came from a good Christian home and your parents parents were still broken, even if they were never separated or divorced, because we we are born broken. We all come from the first broken family, which is Adam and Eve. How many know that this morning? God put Adam and Eve on this earth. And uh, it happened, something happened when they fell, and, and that affects you and I today. That, that we are all have the DNA and the makeup of our first parents, Adam and Eve. We all carry that biological DNA, uh, that characteristics of the Adam that fell, and Adam and Eve, also the spiritual DNA from them, the spiritual characteristics that causes us to act and think a certain way that came to us from the fall. All of us can be traced back to the first family, which was the broken family. And so there are three results that came from the fall. There were three things that even innate in us today, in our lives, that happened from the fall. And every family has to fight these three things. We have to fight these three things. These are things that still try to infiltrate our lives today. 
All of them have become, and it's the purpose of it is to block the blessing of God in our lives and in our families. And so what came into mankind that affects us to this day, that is why we need Jesus. That is why we need Christ, and that is why we need Jesus. Even though there were only two people in the earth at the time, in Genesis 3, when man fell, Cain and Abel didn't come till Genesis 4. Let me say it this way. Every person on the earth before the fall, which was Adam and Eve, was in perfect relationship with God and with each other. Before the fall, they were in perfect relationship with God and with each other, even though it was just them. So if you would, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. I want us to look at this this morning. And... Uh, It's amazing that they were in perfect relationship with God and in just a few verses, every person in the earth was in a broken relationship with God and the universality of sin entered into the world. Isn't it amazing to see that how sin has swept the earth and how we see sin in the earth and we all share a common ancestry and stock Each of us on the earth, all of us on the earth do. And so let's look at this in the book of Genesis chapter 3. I want us to see a couple of things this morning and talk a little bit about them. Genesis chapter 3 in the beginning. And now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Has God indeed said? The first thing Satan did was was to cast doubt on the Word of God. Did God really mean what He said? The first thing Satan did was to count, discount the Word of God right out of the gate. Did God really say? If we translate that today, it's like, does God really mean what He says? Does this Word really mean what it says? Is this Word really true? Does it really mean what it says? Let's read on. And the woman said to the serpent, she said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing God and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Now that's an interesting verse of Scripture. It says she ate and she gave it to her husband. Where did it say he was? With her. And he ate. Eve wasn't just all by herself and Adam was out scrubbing animals or naming animals. The scripture says he was with her. He was with her and he ate. I I find that interesting in the passage there. Did God indeed say... First thing God did was the Satan did was doubt the word of God. You will not surely die. In other words, in verse 4, Satan completely misrepresented God. In other words, you're not going to die, he says. You're not going to die. And as I began to think about this, I thought Eve here did a couple of things that's interesting. Maybe you, didn't, you haven't caught it in Scripture, but I thought was interesting is that the first thing she did was that Eve added to the Word of God. In other words, she added to the Word of God. She tampered with the Word. Because she said that God said that you shall not eat of the tree that's in the garden, nor touch it. God did not say anything about touching it. Matter of fact, in chapter 2, And uh, I believe it's verse 17. And uh, God said that if you eat of it, you shall surely die. He said nothing about touching it. So she added to the word of God. 
She took liberty to add to the word of God. Then she altered the word. And she said, if we eat of it, lest we die. No, God said, not lest you die. It doesn't mean, the word lest means that the possibility of death. God said, no, you shall surely die. You will die. It's inevitable that you will die. And so she altered God's word. And then she omitted God's word. And uh, where it says, thou shalt surely die. In other words, she disbelieved what God said. In other words, for some reason, she thought that what God said was not going to come to pass. And really what she did was she positioned herself for the fall. She positioned herself to the place to where now she positions herself for temptation. She positions herself to uh, be uh, deceived by the enemy. And that is still happening in the hour that we live today. Men are adding to the word of God. They're adding to it. They're saying things about the word of God that the word of God never says. Men are altering the word of God. God doesn't really mean that. God doesn't really mean that he is going to send people to hell who don't know Jesus. Right? Y'all ever heard that argument? How could a good God send people to hell? Well, God don't send people to hell. People choose to go there. God doesn't send anybody. And so they alter the word of God. And then they dismiss the word of God. In other words, they dismiss the word of God by saying, God doesn't mean that. God doesn't really mean that. When God describes and puts commands in his scripture, he's not really meaning that. He wants you to interpret that for yourself and have your own meaning. And that in the day of judgment, all you have to do is say, God, this is what I thought you meant. How many know that's not going to happen? How many know the word of God is sure and true? And so what we see here, and in verse 6, it's interesting. It says, Adam was right beside her while the devil was taking, was talking to his wife. He was with her, it said. And in verse 6 is interesting because it says this. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasing to the eye, the tree desirable to make one wise. In other words, there were three things there that she saw. What she see? She saw that it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and makes one wise. I want to show you a passage of Scripture over in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is what? But is of the world. Right? How many know that that's, this is in Genesis and that's all the way in 1 John? How many know this is a one-book book? The devil's tactics still haven't changed. It said that she saw that it was good for food, which was the lust of the flesh, pleasant to the eyes, which was the lust of the flesh, or the lust of the eyes, and made good to make one wise, which is the pride of life. Satan hadn't changed his topics at all. So we see this here. And it said that when Adam was with her, the actual Hebrew, it means this, it means that he covenanted with her. Or that he, there was a soul tie. There was a communion or an agreement about what she was partaking of the fruit of the temptation of Satan. It wasn't just that she ate and then she ran and got Adam and had to convince him and deceive him. He was in agreement with her. As she ate, he was in covenant with her and he was in agreement with her. He was just as much a part of the fall as she was. And so three things happened when Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world. There are three things that affect us today. Three things that challenge our families, that challenge our lives today. And I want to talk about them this morning. This first one I want to talk about, well, number one, the first one this morning, when sin came into the earth, 
the first response was once they had sin was shame. Shame entered the earth. Let's look at verse 7. It said, Then the eyes of them both, both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made them made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded that you should not eat? And so when sin came in, shame came in. He said, who told you you were naked? The very first thing they felt once they sinned was shame. And I, I thought to myself, well, who were they hiding from? It was just Adam and Eve on the earth. Who were they hiding from? Well, they were hiding from God, and they were hiding from each other, right? I mean, they felt shame. They were hiding from God and hiding from each other. I mean, I'm not sure that they were hiding from the animals, right? I mean, I don't care that the dog sees me naked, right? <laughs> they were hiding from God and each other. They were ashamed of their nakedness. Now, I know y'all find this hard to believe. But when I was a kid in elementary, I was really skinny, really skinny. You could see my ribs, and I was embarrassed by that. And, uh, of course, I overcame that <laughs> with fried chicken and Grater's ice cream. <laughs> That'll take care of it. And, um, <laughs> but I was afraid that people would see my ribs. I was so skinny. And so I never wanted to take my shirt off or be, uh, or anybody to see me, you know, without clothes on. And it was because I was skinny then. Now I'm afraid for anybody to see me without my clothes on because I'm fat. And so, but the Bible said they made themselves clothes to cover their shame. Verse 21 said God made them, made them coats of skin and covered them. And God made them from animal skin. It means he had to shed blood in order to cover them. The only thing that will cover shame in our lives is the blood of Jesus. Something had to die. There was already the type and shadow of the sacrifice of Jesus to cover their shame. Only blood can cover shame this morning and cover our shame. But how many know that in life, that when people feel shame before God, they'll do every, they'll sow their own fig leaves in life together to try to cover their own shame. They'll, they'll, they'll cover themselves with the fig leaf of just going to church or doing religious things. Y'all hearing what I'm saying this morning? They will, they will do ordinances or, uh, for attention but they will string together their own fig leaves, their own self-righteousness to try to cover themselves. But how many know that the shame of your sin and my sin can only be covered through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his shed blood this morning? I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture to you in Revelation chapter 18. All right, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 18. I never saw this before, but it says, I counsel you to buy, to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments that may be your clothes, that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In other words, the I counsel you to buy gold. The gold represents gold that's tried in the fire. It's a representation of the word of God. It's a picture of the word of God. Gold refined is the word of God. That you may be covered with white garments. 
Isaiah 61.10. Let me read that to you this morning. Isaiah 61.10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has what? He has clothed me with the garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So we know this morning that the only thing that overshadows or covers us is righteousness. You know this morning there's a distinction between righteousness and righteous living. Righteousness is right standing with God. And in, in, when we live in righteousness, it means that our sin has been taken care of. Our shame has been taken care of through Jesus Christ. But what we do many times is we think that if I can overcome you know, this thing in my life and just live better, uh, if I could you know, stop falling for this and falling for this, that I won't be ashamed. The truth is, Romans 4, 3 said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Accounted means it was deposited into him as righteousness. We overcome shame and sin, not by trying to live better or do better, but by putting our lives under the authority of Jesus Christ and his blood and righteousness is accounted unto our lives. Sin was taken out of all of our accounts when Jesus died for the whole world. And sin was put in Jesus' account. You say, well, then why isn't everyone saved then? Because not everyone has believed. But Jesus paid the price. Sin was put on him, and he paid the price. The problem is, is that since I've gotten saved, I've made a few bad choices and mistakes. <laughs> is there anybody here like that this morning? I'm probably the only one, I'm sure. Actually, let's take a poll. <laughs> How many of you, since you've gotten saved has made a mistake or has sinned? Raise, raise your hand. Just raise it high. I want everyone to see how many sinners go to RVCC. <laughs> the thing is, Satan will tell you the worst, that you are the worst than anyone else, that you've blown it. You've been saved a long time. You shouldn't be making these kind of mistakes. You're stealing with, still dealing with some of the same stuff. Let me tell you what it is. It's called being human this morning. It's called being human. We're all human. And so the enemy uses shame in order to invade our lives so that our families can't be blessed. I'm going to get back to that in a minute. But number two, one is shame. Number two is blame. Shame and blame. You can rhyme this morning. Go back to chapter 3 and let's look at verse 11. God said, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I have, have commanded that you do not eat? And look at verse 12. I love this. The man said, look, look what the man said. <laughs> he said, then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me she gave me of the tree, and I ate. In other words, Adam said, this woman that you gave me. <laughs> and he really, he blames two people in one shot. Look at verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman blamed the devil. The serpent deceived me, I said. And so he blamed, he blamed two people in one shot. He said, this woman that you gave me, God, <laughs> it's this woman and then you're responsible for her giving her to me and then she said well I blame the devil isn't it funny how 
that this permeates in our lives, the result of sin, this blame you see. We also see kind of this in, in our lives. He said, the woman you gave me, I was doing fine and hanging out with the monkeys until she showed up. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing about blame. Here's what we say about blame. Number one is that it's not my fault. Or we wrongly also say it's all my fault. Either one is not right. We try to put the blame somewhere. There's a result. It is a result of sin. In other words, people will live in bitterness toward others and also towards God. When we blame, we sometimes live in a place of bitterness, not only toward those whom we blame, but also towards God. Adam said, you gave her to me, God. That's why, that's why this happened. I'm not responsible for my own sin. And so he blamed her. He blamed God. My boss didn't promote me. God, I've heard all about this blessed life, but I'm not living it. I'm not living it. Apparently, something is wrong with me. So you blame yourself. Let me, let me tell you something. Blame comes from one place. It comes from Satan himself. In other words, blame, blame comes from Satan who is called what? The accuser, right? He's the, I want to show you a passage of scripture that I saw something that I hadn't seen before. And uh, I don't know about you, but I occasionally get a revelation. But in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Oops, that's not the scripture. Revelation 12, 10, I'm sorry. It's in the wrong place. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for, come for the accuser of our brethren. How many has ever heard that scripture? We've heard that scripture many times. And we have said things like, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? But that's not what the scripture says. It says he is the accuser, what? He is the accuser of our brethren. He is the accuser of our brethren is what it says. In other words, before we accuse someone, we need to remember that it's your brethren. Before we bring accusation or before we blame, we must understand, first of all, we must know that you're not just bringing accusation against anybody, you're bringing accusation against our brethren. Your brother and sister in Christ. We're never more like Satan in our lives than when we are bringing accusation against others, accusing someone else, blaming someone else for a, for a mistake. Now, you all have children. I have children. And I have permission to say this this morning, by the way, from her. I, my daughter, I have my, my one daughter, uh, Savannah, Growing up, nothing was ever her fault. Nothing. She, nothing. She'd get a bad grade in school and she'd say, that teacher doesn't like me. I'm telling you, she doesn't like me. And I'm saying, Savannah, you're saying you got a bad grade because a teacher doesn't like you. She says, yes, she hates me. I said, you've had every teacher hate you from kindergarten to the time you were a senior. They must have, you know, they must have, you know, got together. Well, I remember one specific time I'm, I'm, I'm out and I get a call from her and uh, she was with a friend and she's using another friend's phone. I answer, I said, hello. She said, dad, dad, somebody stole my phone. And I said, they stole your phone? I said, well, whose phone are you using? She said, well, I'm using so-and-so. I said, well, you sure you didn't misplace it? She said, no, I was ordering something at McDonald's and I laid it down right by the counter and somebody stole it. And I said, oh, I said, you sure you didn't misplace me? No, I did not misplace it. So a couple hours later, she comes home and she comes in and she is just a texting. And I said, did you find your phone? Now, this, this is a true story. She said, 
The person that stole it, put it back in my phone or in my purse. <laughs> the person that stole it, put it back in my purse. <laughs> okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. And see, <laughs> blame, shame and blame. The third thing that was introduced to us after the fall, the third thing we'll call fame. Now, this is not like, you know, wanting to be famous. It's wanting to be, it's, it's the thing of wanting to be recognized, acknowledged. And insecurity, all of us have. The need for someone to recognize who we are. To recognize who we are. Now, from verses from verses 14 to 19, here in Genesis 3, God goes on and he pronounces, announces the curse that on the serpent in verses 14 and 15. In verse 16, he talks about the result of the curse on Eve. Verses 17 through 19 on Adam. God didn't curse them. He just let them know what the consequences of their sin was and taught and taught them the curse that they had brought upon themselves. And the truth is this morning, some people still live under that curse. But we have been redeemed this morning from the curse. We have been redeemed from the curse and the blood of Jesus this morning. Now, I want to show you something in Scripture. Now, and uh, this might be a little controversial, but that's all right. You go pray about it and you'll realize that I might be right. <laughs> might be, I said. I want you to see something in verse 20. I've never seen this in Scripture before. But I want you to see in verse 20, it said, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of living. Now, you'd say, that's not a bad, that's not so bad, you know, well, let's dive into this a little bit. What's wrong with this? After the fall, Adam gives her this name. God didn't give Eve this name. God didn't give Eve this name. Adam did after the fall. Matter of fact, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, Adam says this. He looks at the woman, he says, you are bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. You're part of me. We're together. We're one. That's what he said at the end of chapter 2. He said, we are together. We're one. You're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And here in chapter, here at the end of chapter 3, he gives her the name Eve. In other words, after the fall, he says, you're Eve. He labeled her. In other words, what he did was, he labeled her. He separated and distinguished her from him. He labeled her and distinguished her from him. In chapter 2, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now he labels her and separates her from him. And he says, now you're Eve. And now your responsibility is to bear me children. <laughs> but here's the thing. Her name was not Eve. God didn't name her that. A lot of people don't know what her name was, but I do. The scripture says, if you'll look over into um, chapter 5, at the, re, at the re, God rehashing creation... Now, in the, in, the, in the King James and the New King James, the Old King James says one thing, but the New King James really gives you the better translation. And this is what it says. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, and God here is talking about the family of Adam. He says, he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. In other words, he called them mankind. In other words, God made the two one. 
He called them mankind. And what did God say later? God said, what I have joined together, let no man separate. Are you all with me so far? So what did Adam do? Adam named her. He separated her from him. He distinguished her and said, now you're Eve and that you're responsible, your responsibility now is to bear children. Before sin, Adam says we're one. Afterwards, he separate. We're different. He labeled her. This is your purpose. And let me just say this. Ladies have been struggling for 6,000 years, right? And believing that my purpose is to just be a mother, that that's just my purpose, is to be a mother. I mean, no, that's a good purpose. I mean, that's what God, God created you to be that. God created you to be a mother. But that is not your highest purpose. I used to say this. I used to say that God's highest purpose for men was to be a good husband and a father. That women's highest purpose was to be a good mother and a good wife. I used to say that, but I don't say that anymore. Because that's not what our highest purpose is. Your highest purpose and my highest purpose this morning is to be a child of God. That's our highest purpose this morning. Because if you're, a high, if you're a child of God this morning, you will be a good mother. You will be a good father if you are a child of God. Now hang with me. Understand that every person has a calling. We all know that every person has a calling. Is that right? We all are called. We all, matter of fact, Galatians 3.28 says that there is no difference in male and female in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. Why would you think that just a husband has a calling? They say that women become most depressed when their kids are grown and have moved out. I believe it's because they feel and have been told that their purpose has been fulfilled and their calling is over. But 1 Corinthians 12 says this. It says, he gives gifts to each one different from one another. The benefit of all, but to each. I said, he gives gifts to each and callings to each. You're an each. He's an each. She's an each. (laughs) And God doesn't distinguish between male and female. He calls a female just like he calls a male. And I'm telling you, Adam is the one that brought distinction and division and separation. Adam labeled her, and competition and separation began between the husband and the wife. And so there you have a broken family. You have the broken family. Now, they stayed married because there was no one else on earth. <laughs> they couldn't, there wasn't nobody else to marry, so they, so they stayed married. Genesis 2, they were one flesh. After the fall, Eve was labeled. She wasn't mankind anymore. And so they began to see it in, our ki- in their kids. They had Cain and Abel. And, and, and they wanted to be recognized Abel was recognized for his sacrifice. Cain wasn't. So what happened? Cain slew Abel. Is that not right? See, here's what happens. Here's the lie in that. In the lie of this that infiltrates families, some of you may have had to experience this in your life, but people will say things like this. They'll say like, aren't you so-and-so's boy? Aren't you so-and-so's boy? We know who your dad is. Aren't you, aren't you his boy? Are you as good as him? Do you do what he does? Right? Or how many of us had to live up under the, uh, the fame of an older brother? Hey, are you so-and-so's little brother? Are you as good as football player and basketball player as he is? He won a state championships. Can you win a state championships? Or aren't you so-and-so's little sister who was a valid Victorian? Are you as smart as she was? Right? 
So we live under that, under that fame, that separation. The competition, the strive for individuality to be known. And, and it's truth. Satan told Eve, he said this, when you eat, you will be like God. Here's the lie. She was already like God. She was already made in his image. He said to Adam, to be known individually. Well, we are already individually known by God. We don't have to separate ourselves. We don't have to seek out our own recognition. God recognizes us. We're made in his image. And so we don't have to live under, under that, that shame. I want to talk about something for just a minute as we get close to closing. <laughs> but I want to talk about and put a finger on this word shame. This is a powerful word. The strongest unhealthy driver in your life is shame this morning. Now, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Now, I want to tell you, I've dealt a lot with this. I've dealt a lot with this as a pastor. I've dealt a lot with this in my family. I've dealt personally a lot with this. The difference between guilt and shame is this. Guilt is action-based. Shame is identity-based. Guilt says, I did something bad or I did something wrong. That's guilt. I did something wrong. I'm, I feel guilt for it. But this is what shame says. Shame says is identity-based. Because I did something, I am bad. I am dirty. I am not worthy. Guilty for what we did. But shame, a shame for who we are. There's a difference. What causes, there are things that cause our shame. Shame says, I'm defected, I'm damaged, I'm broken, I'm flawed. I'm unrepairable, I'm unwanted. We can, we can, we can be shame, we can have shame about many things. We can have shame about you know, our finances, our debt. We can have shame about our past. But what happens is, is that we connect it to our identity and we live with shame, a shame-based thinking. So what happens is we attach shame as to who we are because we've done something bad, we feel shameful, and so it affects our identity. And we say we're not loved, we're not worthy, we're not, we're, we're, not, we're not worth the blessing of God. We're not worth God's goodness in our lives. But we have shame-based thinking in three ways. We become vulnerable to perfection. We silence our shame with a perfect performance. Look how good I did. So we have shame in our life, so we try to use perfection to cover up the fact that we fall short. Look how good I did. Look how good I can be. And so shame-based thinking is saying that if I perform well, I don't have to think about my shame. If I do good things, if I perform good, I don't have to think about my shame. Number two, shame-based thinking is critical of ourselves which drives us to be critical of others. Most people that are critical are those who are dealing with shame. And most shame people shame others. People who carry a lot of shame in their life feel like they have to shame others in order to feel better about who they are. They shame others. They become critical of other people. They become critical Number three, we use self-defeating thoughts to shield ourselves from disappointment. In other words, people who are always thinking the worst case scenario. And the reason is, the reason they think the worst case scenario 
is because, is because they know that the worst case scenario is a lot easier than facing the reality because they always feel that they always defeat their defeating thoughts and they find themselves always living in disappointment. They're going to reject me anyway so we don't risk relationships. I'm just going to be rejected. Once they find out who I am, they're not going to like me. They're not going to love me anyway. I'm not going to try because this always happens to me. The worst always. And so what happens is we end up sabotaging the blessing of God in our lives. And so we live in shame. But I think shame in our life becomes progressive. It becomes progressive in our life. I know in my life it's become progressive. I was thinking back over my life and how shame had affected my life for so many years. And we engage in things and things happen in our life that produces shame. And so I'm just going to be a little vulnerable to you this morning. And I was thinking about three major things, four major things that happened in my life that had produced the most shame in my life. Now, I don't say this a lot. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever said it. But I'm saying it because what happens is shame builds up and then we take on the identity. I'm bad. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be used of God. I'm not worthy to be loved. But I'm here to tell you the blood of Jesus has redeemed you from shame this morning. You don't have to live in shame. I remember being four and five years old. My parents had a volatile divorce. Y'all, I mean volatile. I can't even tell you how volatile it was. It was violent. But I was a child. My mother had had two previous children, which I had a half-brother and half-sister that was older than me. But her and my dad, I was born out of wedlock. My parents... I was born illegitimately. And I always felt that I was the reason for their violence toward one another. That had I not been born, then there wouldn't be such violence. And I felt to myself that, man, I'm causing so much turmoil in my family because their fighting was always over us, me and my little brother. And I thought, well, if we weren't here, then this wouldn't be happening. So I always felt the shame of the responsibility of carrying the breakup of my family. And I carried that shame. I I remember as a little child being ashamed of that. I remember going to school in first and second grade and being like one of only a couple kids in the class that had the parents that were divorced. I I mean, I feel that. I felt that. I remember when I was 10 years old. And I found my father's personal stash of adult stuff. And had engaged it at 10 years years old, y'all. 10 years old, and feeling the shame and the, the, just the anxiety of that, knowing that I'd done that and had engaged myself in that as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old in my life. Huh. I remember at 18 years old, I'm not going to share it with you because I've never shared it even with my family. But I did something that I did something personally that was so horrific that for years I had to fight through the shame of it to even get forgiveness of it. It was personal. It was was something that I did that I just even today would be hard to even mention or talk about. And my, my, my family doesn't even know. Nobody in my family knows. My wife doesn't even know. I'm not even going to share it with you. I would never share it with you unless I had first shared it with them. 
But I remember the devastation of shame that came with that at 18. Then I remember graduating from high school, but I didn't really graduate from high school. I walked, but I had to go to summer school in order to get my diploma. I walked, but I didn't have a diploma. Are you all with me this morning? Because here's the thing, I I know the feelings of this. And so when I got saved at 19, I got redeemed, but I continued to live under the shame of those things. Of those things walking and working in my life. Because I I would say, well, who am I? Who really am I? Well, I'm somebody that's flawed, that's bad. How could God ever use me? God would never use me. Thinking I'm ashamed of my past. But thank God I'm here this morning, standing before you, that my past has been covered by the grace of God, my sins have begun, has been forgiven, and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. But the truth is, the bad news is, is that you can still battle. You can still battle those things in your mind. And I still do. I still do have to to battle. And here's what I found out through the years. And the bottom line, the root of it all is this, is I felt shame deep down in the root is that I I was never enough. That's what I have to battle, never enough. I was never enough for my parents. I was never smart enough. I was never enough to be considered worthy of anything. And so what I have to battle now, even as a pastor, I have to, I have to worry about it. You know, worry about at times I feel shame. I feel like I always have to measure up. Always have to, to, to be performing. Always, always. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.